0: Good afternoon, comrades. Tonight we're going to be doing a seminar on LGBT issues for Pride Month. I'm reading from something by a comrade named Leslie Feinberg, a non-binary communist from another party, but somebody who really paved the way in terms of the Marxist-Leninist analysis of LGBT rights and LGBT history someone who really brought to light a lot of things that people didn't know before they went and they did a lot of really great research. And so what I'm reading from is just a little thing that they wrote in a collection of their works called Lavender and Red, and this is um, Gender and Sexuality in Tsarist Russia. It starts out, Lenin's Bolshevik party abolished the Tsarist anti-gay laws and legalized abortion less than eight weeks after the October 1917 revolution. The Soviet Union eventually went on to recriminalize both of these in the late 30s. Neither of these actions reflect the policies or psychologies of individuals, but the deep economic changes going on in Soviet society and their impact on the family the question of same-sex love and the role of women in what became the soviet union has a long and complex past that cannot be examined in isolation from the class struggle as a whole much of the scrutiny of this particular aspect of history has been by researchers and academics who are hostile to the russian revolution and the Soviet Union. Anti communism not only taints their work, in too many cases, the discrediting of socialist revolution and the actual foundation of their analysis. Working class communist intellectuals, particularly those from the former socialist bloc countries, who examine the question of sexuality, gender, and sex in the vast region within the context of the class struggle without glossing over any of the weakness or mistakes of the revolution, will make a vital contribution to the socialist movement. That's the first spot that I was going to stop for questions.
1: On Leslie Feinberg, all of her works that she wrote are on Marxism, Leninism, and LGBT plus liberation theory. She not only wrote about Tsarist Russia, but also... LGBT history along the lines of class struggle in other places, including Cuba. And I think that if anyone wants to see LGBT analysis through the lens of class struggle, this is one of the main people you have to go to.
0: Thank you for that, comrade. That's very true. Leslie also spoke at length about Czechoslovakia and East Germany. Your thought on the unions? I think they may have evolved into more of a bourgeoisie collaboration than what they were in the beginning from the 1915 to 1935
2: or so. I think you're talking about the leadership of a union. Is that what you're saying?
0: You're talking about rank and file, and maybe the leadership is what has been astray.
2: We call that class collaborationist. Yellow trade unionism. That's what we communists call that. And the unions that we started in the 30s, out of the 18 unions, 11 were led by communists. And their positions on black workers, for example, was far advanced than the other unions on black workers. So, yeah. But that's a separate issue. It's the same thing, basically. I see it as the same. We have to get with the definitions and the consciousness of the times. Thank you.
0: The next part of it is titled, As Ancient as Humanity. As with every other inhabited landmass on the planet, the extended region that was to become the Soviet Union seems to have encompassed same-sex love and gender-sex variants during early times. Sexual variance is found not just in the history of one nationality or one class. British archaeologist Timothy Taylor identified what he believed was evidence of what today is called transgender, as well as women warriors in pre-class Iron Age graves in southern Russia. I think I have identified females who moved into a male sphere, as well as men who crossed Historian Dan Healy stated in his book, Homosexual Desire in Revolutionary Russia, that the popular everyday sexual practices of the mass of Russians were marked by pagan survivals, orgies, non reproductive sexual acts, which Russian Orthodoxy, with its incomparably weak institutions and priesthood, had been incapable of eradicating. Healy explained, rural and lower-class Russians possessed an array of terms to describe individuals who appeared or behaved like members of the opposite sex. They associated this gender marginality with hermaphroditism observed in domesticated animals, linking social qualities with the familiar phenomena of physical sexual indeterminacy. So what the comrade is trying to get at here is that this isn't some new thing, which is something that you see sometimes, is that, oh, all this transgender stuff, all this LGBT stuff, this is all new. This is stuff that has existed since before written language existed. These are things that we've observed in different species of animals, not just in humans. This isn't just some modern invention by the bourgeoisie, as some comrades have sadly been led astray to believe. In fact, it's something that has existed since before class society, and as such it has evolved with class society, and the comrade goes on later on to explain that in more depth. For example, Healy noted that the lexicographer Vladimir Dahl, who gathered his material between the 1830s and 1850s in central Russia, found that the manly woman was known as Muzlokna. There's a bunch of other names here that I honestly cannot pronounce, but there are different words that describe a non-binary third gender that existed in Iron Age Russia essentially, is what the comrade is saying here. Dahl reported that his informants defined these women as resembling a man in their appearance, movements, voice, etc., or by structure, by body formation. They might even approach the condition of a hermaphrodite woman. The lexiconographer found an analogous vocabulary describing the feminine male. In addition, Dahl reported that the verb divilistia was used of men who luxuriate, take women's habits and manners. None of the words used to describe quote-unquote manly females were insults. Some of the terms for feminine males, however, were.
2: Anybody would like to Ask a question of what was just stated.
0: I thought it was really interesting what the author said about prehistoric Russia and there being evidence of non binary genders in prehistoric societies. There's also examples of that in North America among Native Americans. I don't know how prevalent it is or what specific societies, but many Native American societies in North America had a non-binary gender category they referred to as, what, two souls or two spirits?
3: Two spirits. Since LGBT was commonly accepted in society, especially acknowledging gender as a spectrum in ancient societies, what is the reason that this has been erased from widespread consciousness and has become taboo until very recently?
0: The shortest answer, Comrade, is the church. The church is why the Orthodox Church, the Catholic Church, Presbyterian, and any Christian church, they wanted to erase this stuff from history. It didn't fit into their perfect white narrative of how history was supposed to have gone, so they just pretend it doesn't exist. So we have to look at this stuff, and a lot of these people existed before the Christians came over to Ireland and to Scandinavia and such. They had this stuff in the pagan cultures there as well, and the Christians, they just came and they killed them all and pretended it didn't exist, so the church.
2: I'd like to also add to that, we have to be understand clearly what all oppression is based on, what all political reality today is based on a book called the Bible. If any of us have ever studied the Bible, you'll understand what I'm saying. I haven't studied it when I was in pre seminary. The Bible is claimed to be written by a supernatural being using man and women as a way of transcribing onto paper. And everything that is looked at, all morals and all ways of life, are looked at through the view of the Bible. Case in point zionism is not looked at as what it's done to palestinian people but the bible says that quote unquote jewish tribes should inhabit that part of the earth of the globe so true with everything else even early condemnation of capitalism is in the bible it's harder for a man when they say a man they mean a human being who has money To get to heaven, it's harder for that to happen than for a camel to go through the head of a needle. And you know what that means. A camel is tremendous. I was going to go through the head of a needle. But the whole idea of the money lenders and the temple, the whole idea of give unto Caesar what is Caesar and one to God what is God, everything comes from the Bible, including our view of sex and sexual activity. It's all from the Bible. And that Bible, is looked at predominantly by millions and millions and millions of people in the world through different Christian sects and Christian religions. So I just want to say I'm going to go a little bit further than come It's more than the church, it's the Bible.
1: Is there any precedent for that in other European nations, like Germanic tribes, Frankish tribes around that area, too? That may have been erased through history by the church.
0: Yes, there is. There's actually a term that is used more modernly that is not used as a good term that comes from back in that time called Badal, which is sadly now not a very positive term at all. But it was something very close to the Germanic Frankish eras, especially in France, in the English area of the United Kingdom. There were people of a third gender. This existed in actually almost every society on Earth had this at some point before something happened to erase it. And actually, the next part of the Comrade's essay here goes on to say that what did it in Russia was Peter the Great, 18th-century westernization reforms. So westernization is... In part, what would help spread almost a literal hatred for homosexuality, for the acceptance of this, of third gender people, non binary people in general, which is ironic because we see homosexuality oftentimes categorized as a Western phenomena when that obviously couldn't be further from the group.
2: Thank you. When I first joined the communist movement, In 1968, I remember my new members' classes in New York. It was the old party I had joined. And I remember the class, and somebody brought up homosexuality. And the line that was given to us at the time, and this was a line that was practiced in Soviet society also, was that it was the degeneration that came from capitalism. This is what I was originally told. And therefore, it was capitalism that produced deformities, including homosexuality. This was the position that we had. Older comrades may remember this view. But as we began to study, find out information that we did not know at an earlier period, we found out that societies before states were formed and tribes, etc., these things happened before, in other forms of life, among animals, and among other species. When we found that out, it changed the reality, as Marx said. What was real at one time is not real now. We got more information. Our level of what we used to call in the 1960s, level of consciousness, changed. And so, therefore, that's why older comrades who come from a different view do not understand, scientifically, the idea that we have new information now, which we didn't have before, which makes us look at this differently. It is not connected to capitalism. It happened before capitalism. So that's interesting to remember that. Continue, comrade.
0: The next part is codifying state repression. Revolutionary ferment in Western Europe in the second half of the 18th century, which brought the bourgeoisie to power in France and elsewhere, also brought challenges to the absolute monarchy in Russia. Other Western influence, however, had brought repressive laws in its wake earlier in the century. German military advisors Peter the Great had drafted a military legal code in 1706 based on a Swedish military edict that penalized consensual sex between males. The punishment was burning at the stake. The law was broadened in the military code of 1716. The legislation of 1706 and 1716 applied to soldiers on active duty. Criminalization of male homosexual behavior for the whole of Russian society of a new legal code drafted in 1832. Karlinsky wrote, During the reign of the most brutal of the Romanovs, Nikolai I, this code did not retain the military legislation of Peter the Great, but was instead patterned on the criminal codes that existed at the time in various German principalities, especially that of Württemberg, which it copied. But industrialization in Russia in the 1880s and 1890s and the urbanization it brought with it set swift economic changes in motion. As large numbers of peasants, mostly men but some women too, left their villages and farms to come to the cities in search of paying jobs, the old feudal social structure of the family, sexuality, and gender, sex expression they brought with them was transformed as well. The next part is Roots of Russian Homosexual Subculture. Revolutions against feudalism and capitalism in Russia illuminated the nexus of the battles for the liberation of sexuality, particularly same-sex love, the abolition of sex and gender restrictions, and the emancipation of women. These seemingly divergent struggles were up against institutionalized common obstacles. The economic unit for both peasants and workers was the oppressive patriarchal family, whether feudal or capitalist. The superstructure of law, religion, politics, and education functioned to justify the inequality of a class-divided economic phase. And this economic and social injustice was enforced by the state machinery of repression. Russian capitalism Created an exploited economic class that was up against these common enemies at every turn and was forced to take on the Amazonian task of battling class rule, its ideology, and its state. Of course, women as a whole were easily visible in pre revolutionary Russian society, they were not a closeted population but it took the growth of capitalist industrialization to create a homosexual subculture in Russia. As early as the 1870s, historian Dan Healy describes this as, Russian cities expanded and commerce and industry grew. A new homosexual identity appeared alongside more traditional relations. Forensic doctors and others referred to these men as tetki, The word literally means auntie. Healy explains, but it can be translated as queen. Tetka was a patronizing word used for any woman older than the speaker. The title, The Little Homosexual World, became a feature of Russia's largest cities, Healy said. The abolition of feudal serfdom In 1861, a demand for wage labor created by industrialization drew large numbers of peasants to the growing cities in search of paid work. It was the centrifugal force of capitalism in Russia that centralized an urban industrial class in the 1880s and 1890s, in which a homosexual subculture took root. Healy writes that, As the subculture in large cities like St. Petersburg and Moscow began to grow in size and complexity at the end of the 19th century, it developed its own geographies of sexualized streetscapes, its rituals and contact and socialization, its signals and gestures, and its own fraternal language. In these rituals, gestures, and language, the subculture elaborated roles for participants, often based on the principles Of the market and male sex. At the same time, capitalist market relations stamped their own trademark on sexual relations. This pattern of relations marked a distinct break with older patriarchal forms of male sexuality, for encounters took place beyond the patron-client nexus of the household or workshop. Hilly continues. Now a sexual marketplace evolved with a new hierarchy of values and a new symbolic order. Indeed, capitalists were now taking the Russian Tetka and his friends seriously, running bathhouses, bars, and balls of women haters that centered discreetly to this clientele. Women haters not meaning they actually hated women. It means that they preferred the company of men. Healy adds, female homosexuals, as Russian psychiatrists tended to call certain women who had sex with women, appeared in more scattered locations, often off the public stage in the 1890s. Women bore the brunt of the burden of the patriarchal family structure in feudal Russia. Russian peasant society replicated the structure of the hierarchical patriarchal state, observes Christine Warbeck. Women and children found themselves subordinated to husbands and fathers, just as peasants as a whole were subordinated to the Tsar, the Supreme Father. The medieval family economic structure was a heavy yoke around the necks of all those who were not wealthy landowning males. Author William Mandel wrote, Although the serfs were freed in 1861, they remained dependent upon and ruled by their former owners in precisely the fashion of the black population of the American South after emancipation. These oppressive conditions generated resistance. In a mass trial of 50 peasants, Neurodniks in 1877, 15 were women. Mandel describes Them as populists who believed the solution to Russia's problems lay in the country's traditional peasant communes, freed, however, of landlord exploitation. He quotes Sofia Bordina, a 22 year old defendant who spoke eloquently from the docket about the need to abolish the patriarchal class structure of the family. She told the court, in words pleading with sarcasm, Nor do I know whether the family is undermined by that social order which forces a woman to leave her family and turn to the factory where she and her children are inevitably corrupted, that order which compels a woman to become a prostitute because of her poverty, and which even sanctions prostitution as a legitimate and necessary phenomenon in every well-ordered state, or whether the family is undermined by us who are striving to eradicate this misery, which is the principal cause of all social calamities, including the destruction of the family. Mandel recalled that the Russian writer Maxim Gorky was beaten almost to death by Cossacks in a rural village after he tried to save a woman who was being dragged naked behind a horse because she was accused of the crime of adultery. That practice did not exist in town, Mandel concludes.
2: I want to mention two things that I want everyone everyone to listen to clearly. Antonio Gramsci, he's a famous Italian Marxist during the time of Lenin and Stalin, who was imprisoned by Mussolini in Italy during the fascist period. He wrote on hegemony of class rule, on mores, on customs, on culture in a society, on what is right and what is wrong it's all decided upon the ruling class in that society I want people to remember that contribution of Antonio Gramsci that's one of his famous contributions to Marxism the other one is a book by Friedrich Engels dealt with the family the state and private property in that work Engels goes into the idea of the family and how the family has been used by capitalism and he connects it with private property etc i want people to remember those two works for my own history
0: i was really surprised that it went so deeply into prehistory and anthropology cuz i am an anthropologist i just wanted to plug that one of my favorite anthropologists is eleanor leacock but she studied issues of gender in prehistory she was also a Marxist, very solid Marxist, so she developed a Marxist theory of the gender division of labor and kind of an anthropology of gender, but I I, just, I would second everything Angelo just said, too, about Gramsci.
2: Thank you.
1: There's a lot of other leftists and ultras and stuff that
0: try to paint Marxist-Leninists as default, cis, white sort of thing, but meeting like this shows that it's absolutely not the case, and I'm glad that
1: it just continues to be true, and that we're making sure everybody is fought for for their rights. Thank you. I think
0: that having more conversations like these and being very deliberate about keeping and uplifting LGBT voices in our party is important. Also, a recommendation This is something I do, uh, a lot of organizations I work with otherwise do, to
1: avoid misgendering. When we introduce ourselves, we just say our pronouns. It's very easy, it's simplistic, and it avoids a lot of pain that some of our comrades would otherwise go through. Thank you. I want to harken back to when you brought up Christianity and how you later brought up Gramsci, that being a cultural hegemonic tool of the imperialists and capitalists of the ruling state. And how actually that imperialism destroyed it in America with colonialism and imperialism in the Americas, but it also destroyed it in India, within Hindu communities. There was a third gender that was very common, and it wasn't until the colonial authorities came in and started imposing their Christian values through the cultural hegemony of the ruling class, thank you, Gramsci, that gender was erased And on the use of pronouns, cis people can be great allies in many ways, Correcting people when they know better instead of staying silent and also normalizing everyone, not just trans people announcing their pronouns. So even if you're cisgender, they assigned you your gender at birth and that's what you still identify as, still say it. It's just a practice that should be used. That's my opinion, of course. Thank you.
2: Thank you. I found the class tonight very
3: pertinent, especially as someone who has a non-binary partner myself and you started out not completely understanding issues like this, I think that it can go a very long way in empowering the working class to encourage a humanitarian understanding of these kinds of things. Thank you.
1: Thank you. I thought it was really important that you brought up the facts about the GDR, Czechoslovakia, and Cuba on LGBTQ rights because one of the common arguments I hear used against us communists nowadays is the party is still where it was back in the 80s and before, and it's not like that anymore.
2: We've evolved with time and with science and with our understanding. Thank you for the class.
3: Thank you for that. The history is a bit more complex and academic work like John Bostwell, who was a professor at Yale University and was himself a member of the LGBTQ community, wrote a fantastic book called Christianity, Social Tolerance, and Homosexuality in 1980, published by University of Chicago Press. And I think it's very important to recognize that within Christianity, there were various services, rituals that also legitimized homosexuality in the early church, most notably in the Greek, adelphopiesis. So I think it's important uh, as comrades and as scientific-minded people that we emphasize the distinction between the religious, Forms that are liberatory, like liberation theology within Christianity, as well as these various branches of Christianity and subgroupings in Christianity, than just overarching themes that somehow all of Christianity is oppressive. Because there are many branches of Christianity, and not all of them had seized hegemonic power. Thank you for that
2: contribution. I didn't even know that. We had a great class. I want to thank everybody. I'm very happy that everybody respected everybody's opinion. If we don't respect each other, we're not going to be able to communicate. We don't have to agree. And respect does not mean you agree. It means that you understand that people are allowed to have a different opinion, even though that opinion may be based on ignorance. They're still allowed to have that. The problem that we see in our party is that People should be allowed to live and let live. That's the big thing. And what we do in our own private lives is not the business of the government and it's not the business of a capitalist government, and it's our own business. Our job is to concentrate on the oppression of the working class, including people of our class and LGBT community and in the non-LGBT community. That's the job of our party. Because without defending our class, who's going to do it if it's not the workers themselves? So I want to thank you, and we'll see you next week at the next class. Good night, comrades.
1: Thank you for watching this full length class from the People's School for Marxist Leninist Studies. For more information, or if you're interested in attending classes, visit our website, check out our YouTube channel, or email info at psmls.org.